Hey, hello, what's up, and welcome in to the latest episode of Geek Garage Goes to the Movies. This is number nine, Davis. Yes, this it is, is numero nueve, right? Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, I know what things are. <laughs> <laughs> episode number nine. Um, David's really excited for this one. Yes. Uh, I think probably a little too excited. I have asked that there be an extra five or so feet between us, just in case. I don't need any projectiles or anything. Right, yeah. There, there's there's no telling what kind of body fluids might come out of me during this, because this is an episode that I have been planning since the inception of the podcast. Yeah. So, I am very excited that, that this is happening right now. Uh, for this episode, we're going to get into some mischief. Some mayhem. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. soap, though. No soap. No soap. Uh, we have we have failed. Right. Two out of three ain't bad though. Right. Uh, we will be covering the misunderstood masterpiece of Fight Club, uh, which is turning twenty this yes. month, September of two thousand nineteen. Happy birthday! Or <laughs> I mean, I, it, what is it? Birthday or anniversary? anniversary I guess. Uh, yeah. It, it depends on. Yeah. We, uh, we 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 slated our the title for our Matrix episode like Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, and we shot our wad on that because Matrix. honestly that's the best joke we'll ever make. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Re- all downhill from there, right? Yeah, referencing the the intro to yeah. uh, the the Matrix birthday episode, which you should listen to. It's it's a decent episode. It was it, we had a lot of fun doing that one. It was pretty good. Yeah, uh, well, at least anyway. I did. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, for this episode, like we said, we're t- going to talk about Fight Club. Which is a pretty pretty intense cult classic, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. uh, I, I think it's achieved that status. You can make some arguments that it's more than just like a cult movie, I guess. But it's definitely, at, at one point, was a huge cult movie. And, and probably right. in some ways still is. Still it definitely checks off like the default boxes for... Or the the boxes for a default like cult classic you you tip of what you think of when when you think of cult classic movies like it doesn't have a very big box office uh, right it was um, like a box opening, office failure like, yeah where like no one go and it doesn't make mm. its money back but, but it has as like a huge as, following right when yeah. it hits DVD right yeah. um, so, this was definitely a big like DVD rental yeah. sort yeah. of movie um, there's a lot that has been said about this movie. You could say that about every movie, really. Right. Any, any, any major movie, but there's been a lot but said about this movie. especially Fight Club. Yeah, it's been very divisive since it came out mm-hmm. in 1999. Um, David and I are going to focus in on some of those things. We're going to really focus in on why we consider it a misunderstood masterpiece. Mm-hmm. That's called alliteration. Yes. For all you English nerds out there. Right. But it, it, it also works as a very good tagline yes, uh, it for, does. for the episode. Yes, all right, so before we get into Fight Club, two quick notes. First, we have talked on the podcast a little bit in the past about Galaxy Con in Louisville in November. It's the 22nd through the 24th, I believe. Yep. That is something that we talked about we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now it is official. It is. We will be there in the artist or vendor uh, alley. I'm not sure exactly what their setup is or what they call it. Yeah, this will be our first time going, so it's a little mm-hmm. it's a little new to it's us. It's a little new, a little fresh. Uh, but I'm excited. Yeah, it, it seems very legit. We we looked at the we couldn't figure out the uh, audience numbers or sorry uh, attendance numbers right uh, with GalaxyCon compared to MTAC because MTAC's the one that we're uh, you the know most familiar with. most familiar with and uh, we couldn't find those numbers. But uh, according to the Facebook likes, it has like double the amount of yeah. likes on. I on saw than MTAC does. I saw online, I think GalaxyCon last year had like 100,000 attendees estimated. That's, that's pretty a, insane. That's a lot. We're going to need a lot of buttons. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to order more. 
we will have a banner. We'll be there in an official capacity. So come say what's up. We'll have buttons. Tell all your friends to come say what's up. Um, it'll be a fun weekend. I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. much looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Uh, second, as always, um, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy shit in right. this episode. Um, but if you haven't seen this movie, it's been out for 20 years, so it's yeah. kind of on you at this point. Right, yeah, um, shame on you if, if for not seeing it. you're still worried about spoilers. Right. You know, it's not like something that just came out. But uh, yeah. Yeah, David, you ready? I am very ready. Well, then hit that intro music and let's go. Here we go. Hey y'all, uh, one last quick note that we're going to have to inject here. Um, you'll hear some background noise from David's son, Charlie. He had a little bit of a boo-boo, as they right. say, so uh, David had to kind of hold him and get him to you know, stop crying and do all the, do all the fatherly stuff that yeah. you know, good dads do. Right, so if you hear a little bit of background noise mm-hmm. that is from the children persuasion, um, it's just my kids, yeah. so we yeah. never claim to be a professional setup. In fact, we have claimed the opposite <laughs> right. on numerous so, occasions. Yeah, so you may is... also hear some panting. That's from a dog. <laughs> so if this is anyone's fault, it's really your own for tuning into this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you should know by now, this is a this is a waste of your fucking time. Right. And ours, for that matter. <laughs> anyway. But it's all uh, good fun. Yeah, I think we're going to get to it now. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. All right, Ted, you ready to talk about Fight Club, the club of fighting? I would, but the first rule is that we're not supposed to talk about it. You're right. We're already banned. That's it. That's the whole podcast. See you, everybody. All right. <laughs> now, I mean, to be fair, all the other people talked about Fight Club, and they still got to go. Mm, I mean, yeah. he, Tyler Durden even pointed it out. He's like, looks like a bunch of people have been breaking the first two rules of Fight Club, and everyone laughs. and He gets all upset and shit. Right. I have a lot of thoughts on the rules. We'll, we'll come back to those. We'll yes. circle back. Yeah, we, we, we have some thoughts. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, so like like we said before, the there's a lot to say about Fight Club. Uh, the, the movie goes into a bunch of different topics, and... Um, and and so does the book. Uh, for and just an FYI, there is a book, Fight Club, written by uh, author Chuck Palahniuk, and it is. Um, uh, we'll 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 get into that. Um, but yeah, the both the book and the movie just have a lot to say about several different things. But in in the uh, for the sake of brevity and kind of being a little bit more concise. And controlled, we are sticking to the thesis that is what uh, has been commonly misinterpreted about Fight Club over the years. And we're not really like pointing the finger, or at least I'm not pointing the finger at people saying, Oh, you totally missed the point. Like, did you get it? Did, did you get That's the right. point of Fight Club? Because I'm going to be handling that. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel secure uh, in myself enough to to be able to say that because honestly like I watched Fight Club for a really long time and I didn't get it I did but on the other side of that I didn't pretend that I got it like I I was like I think it's about this and I just kind of philosophized about the what it what it could mean for a while until I talked to a couple people that were 
much more intelligent than I was, especially when it came to dissecting and analyzing film and, and, and book books. And so uh, with, with that, that major theme that, that Ted and I kind of realized is that there's a lot of misunderstanding to, to the movie and, and of course the book that we, we thought that that would make a good central thesis. So that is where, uh, that, that's the main point that we're going to be hitting on. But there, like I said, there's a lot of other talking points that we're going to get through. So, uh, Ted, you want to, uh, you want to start us off with, uh, the first talking point? Sure. Yeah. So my initial thoughts are pretty much what we've already discussed. I think Fight Club is a very good movie that has the misfortune of, generally speaking, having a very terrible fan base. Yes. And that original fan base included Fred Durst, who at the time was a self-proclaimed piece of shit. Uh, I feel like he's still a piece of shit, whether he proclaims it or not. Right. Uh, uh, Coincidentally, he is directing films now. Uh, but mm. th- that's neither here mm. or there. Mm. <laughs> well, I guess okay, quote unquote directing films. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think Fight Club. It's got a pretty shitty fan base. Not everyone. Not everyone, right? So obviously, not every person that because I, like I, I enjoyed the movie, right? So mm. I don't think every single person that watches Fight Club is going to be like Tyler Durden rules, man. Right? That's freedom, like I, but. It has the misfortune. Fincher was so good. He hit. He hit it. He hit the goal so well in creating this like satirical film that people right. completely missed that it was a fucking satire. Right. And circled back around to like unironically backing these things, which we'll kind of get into. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this is Fincher's best movie. I think that it's probably his most popular movie. I. I mean. I- I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I agree with. It. I I feel like when when people think of Fincher, like I feel like Seven gets talked about a lot. That's because Seven's a better movie. But you that's, think so? Yeah, I know. So. That's another that's conversation. That's another conversation. Like I said, I think I think this is broad strokes, mm-hmm. right? I'm not talking about critical acclaim. I'm talking about like the movie that most people associate with, maybe Zodiac. But I think that for a large segment of moviegoers, this is the movie they associate him with, for better or worse. Sure. To his credit, he has said, like, yeah, the people who like it are pretty terrible. Like, his daughter came up to him after um, school one day and was like, oh, my friend, you know, some other kid is like, loves your work. He says Fight Club is his favorite movie. And he was like, you're not allowed to hang out with him anymore. <laughs> <clears throat> So, you know, plus one for being a good dad because there's a good chance that that was like a little terrorist in training wannabe. Right. Um, <clears throat> again, not everybody likes the movie is like going to try to blow up, you know, buildings, Goldman and Sachs or whatever. Right. But I think this has some of his best work in it, even though I don't think it's his best movie overall. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really like is when the narrator's in the hospital getting stitches after he's had his face pounded into the concrete. Right. Um, it, the shot is composed. It kind of pans over from the doctor to the narrator, and then you see finally it focuses and, and like stops on um, in the frame is the narrator, the doctor's hands, and then Tyler's kind of in the back and to the side, right. really hazy and out of focus. And here's where the spoilers start. At the time, you're just like, "That's a cool shot." He's in the background. You know, it's a split focus. Da 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 da. The reason is because the narrator is probably anesthetized. So Tyler would be hazy in his mind. Hmm. I and never so he, thought about and so that. He appears as hazy because <clears throat> the narrator doesn't have a firm grasp on what's happening. Because again, he's 
definitely concussed, I would say, at the very least, and probably right. also has some sort of anesthesia going on while he's getting stitched up. And that's just a cool little, like, Fincher thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, uh, there, there's definitely a lot going on in that one scene. And plus, t- uh, to top it all off, it is that typical, like, you go back and watch it a second time, knowing that they are one and the same person. Mm. That's the whole, you know... Uh, the 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 reveal uh, at the end, you know, you go back with that knowledge in your mind, and you're like, oh, okay, like that's you know Tyler Durden talking to him, or the narrator talking to Tyler Durden, however mm. you want to look at it. Uh, you know, it, you kind of you saw him in the background, thinking that that was you know he was actually just hanging out in the background, but in real life, it was just like you pointed out, where it was kind of just a in the back of his mind right. instead of actually physically being there. Right, for sure. And um, <clears throat> like I said, there's a couple of those little little cool like Fincher things. Mm-hmm. Another one is everybody, of course, knows about the like quote-unquote cigarette burns of the little flashes of right. power that pop up throughout the movie. Which always remind me for some reason of Captain Howdy from The Exorcist. Like that was a thing. You, yeah. you remember that from mm-hmm. The Exorcist? I mean, it... It happened a couple times. It, it wasn't like throughout the whole movie. And I know it's not, it, it, this doesn't happen throughout the whole movie uh, for Fight Club. But um, yeah, for just for whatever reason, it, it just reminds me of yeah, that, that, that that's little a cool, thing. That's a cool little thing. Yeah. Um, those those glimpses aren't random. I've seen a lot of people that like they notice them. They're like, oh, he just randomly inserted him in there. And I'm, mm, I don't think he did. Yeah, the, the, that would be way too coincidental for yeah. all the points that this movie makes, mm. both subliminally and on surface level. And everything that I've ever read or heard about Fincher is that like he's such a perfectionist, and he want he's like right. very demanding and like detail oriented. Mm-hmm. Maybe demanding was the wrong word, although I think it probably fits in some ways. But very detail oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, like I said, a perfectionist. So the the ones that really stuck out to me were all very formational. In the sense of the narrator form, um, forming the personality and the build of like what Tyler Durden is to him. Like what he wants or what he needs Tyler Durden to be. So the, the first one that stuck out to me was when he's visiting the doctor and he's like, I need drugs. I'm in pain. Right. It's like, you don't need drugs. You want to see real suffering. Um, you know, go to the, the, the testicular cancer. Remaining men. Remaining men together. Thank yeah. you. Um, and you see the the glimpse of Tyler, and I think he appears with his arm on the doc, like kind of leaning on the doctor. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, there's that. Then when he's actually in the support group, and and the doctor or the therapy leader, I'm not sure that he's a doctor, but the the group therapy leader is talking right. about, you know, I look around and I see brave men, and da 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 da, and then he pops up again. They yeah. are saying next to the therapy leader. And then there's another one. The third one that I wanted to touch on was when he's in the office and he's making photocopies and he's just yeah. daydreaming about like anything interesting happening. Right. Tyler pops up. And again, those are all very formative glimpses of what the narrator is going to get out of Tyler as a uh, role model in, in a way. Right. Speaking of the group therapy leader, that comes up again later when Tyler's giving his own speech to fight to fight right. attendees where he's like, I look around and I see the bravest men and this and that. And again, it's just for, formative to what the narrator wants or expects or needs out of. Let me stop myself. So when I say, <laughs> when I say needs, the narrator needs this. I'm not, if the character of the narrator were narrator were a real person, he would need like psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I'm saying what he thinks he needs. Right. Just so that I don't get lumped in with the rest of these jackasses on the internet that are like, <laughs> Tyler Durden, man. You right. Know? Um, yeah. Um, I just thought, I, I watched it the other night again. And I don't know how many times I've seen it. I haven't seen it for a while. I haven't watched it in several years, but I know I've seen it probably 10 or 15 times. And I was just like, man, Fincher, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) You're so good at this. Right. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's quite the cinematic genius. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, I, I thought, uh, I, I really, for some reason, never, never gave the, the, the flashes of Tyler Durden a lot of thought. I mainly just, I, Obviously, it's a thing. Right. I thought it was kind of neat, but I never kind of delved deep into the the meaning behind it, mainly because I focused my thinking efforts on on other things that mm. uh, that caught my attention more. And I mean, like I've said in the past, I don't like to assume intent, right? You know, because I don't know art is subjective i don't know what the 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 creator in this case the director mm-hmm. you know wanted to accomplish with that I, I can say like you said i think they're too coincidental yes to not mean something yes then that's kind of what i'm i'm landing on with i think that's all very formative to what the narrator wants or thinks he needs right yeah okay so uh, let's let's go ahead and dive into one of the the big things that is kind of misunderstood about the the movie or not kind of is misunderstood right is is the violence aspect Mm -hmm. yeah so it is i don't know what what would you say the most popular misconception when it comes to the violence like for me it was like people thought that they were like they they put you know all this violence in their uh, you know, some would say it's not too violent, but some would say it's you know overtly violent, and and they they thought that it was just violence for the sake of of being violence. Or right, it's really interesting because if you look at the violence in it, it's I don't want to say tame because I mean it's it's pretty gritty, like guys beating the shit out of one another right the the the, the physical violence the visual element isn't mm. too bad but the sound design is what yeah. fucking sells yeah. the the fights and in, in the commentary i think it's um i want to say it's edward norton it's been a long time since i've listened to the commentary for this but he he made the point he's like if you compare our movie to like raging bull you know scorsese's boxing movie about Jeff right Mata, like the violence the visual portrayal of the violence isn't that different. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just guys punching one another. In, in Raging Bull, of course, they're wearing like boxing gloves because it's all, for, for the most part, at least the violence is contained to the ring. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Fight Club, it's like bare knuckle underground. But it's still like, I mean, Raging Bull has a lot of blood in it. There's a lot of really famous shots where like De Niro gets hit in the side of the face and he turns his head in slow motion and like the blood right. you know, flies out. So it's in, in some ways, it's even kind of like more violent. Right. Than Fight Club. But he even, Norton goes on to say, he's like, but the, the just the meat packing sounds that just. Yeah. He's like, that is what makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Just, I mean, as a little side note. So if you go check out, if you have the, the I think it's the 10th anniversary uh, Blu-ray that uh, I believe that's the one that you got too. Yeah. But if, if that's the one that you're able to find, um, 
it has uh, just a bunch of di- uh, different special features and has a couple different comment commentary tracks. And one of the special features that I just checked out the other day, um, and I was, you know, we were texting back and forth, and I was like, "Did you re- uh, watch the thing about the sound design?" And you were like, "No, I haven't gotten to it yet." And I was like, "Yeah, well, apparently they took like dead chicken carcasses uh, and they filled the chicken with uh, walnuts, I believe they said, and." And took it into a, a a location like that, like underground basement type mm. of situation, and like hung them and beat them with baseball bats. Which like it sounds violent, but I mean they're they're just beating. The, it's kind of comical. In a yeah, way. It, yeah, it is like and they made uh, the the sound designer who was you know giving these trivia factoids was kind of illustrating it as very comical how Mm. it got to that point because they you know they were at the point where they were adding in the sound design and they were talking about what they how they wanted it to be and what they wanted to do wanted to achieve with it and fincher was like no fuck all those like you know default foley uh, noises that everyone else uses that you know we have access to like let's go make our own and it's effective Yes. Yeah, it's super effective. Yeah, it, it definitely sells, helps to sell the the, the violence aspect. Mm. Um, but kind of, yeah, getting back on on track of you know the the misconception of the violence aspects. Uh, a lot of people are like it, it glorifies the violence, and I don't, right. No, I don't think it does. Yeah, it's <clears throat> that's that's not really the point of the violence at all. I uh, w- what I get out of the violence is that it's. It's it's part of the therapy, uh, because like up until they formed Fight Club, he was going to you know all these different therapies in order to um, kind of feel like he belongs uh, to to somewhere that you know he finally has people that listen to him instead of like Marla says, just waiting for their turn to talk, and so he's you know they they've created Fight Club, and instead of talking, they just fight it out. And right. it's it's not fighting because they're angry. You know, you, when you think about two people fighting, you think about you know an actual physical, um, emotional, verbal altercation that is that transpired uh, slash is transpiring. And you know, you think of you know, just very much negativity, hatred, and that's not the case at all. And with this, like, they're just they're guys kind of like rediscovering who they are by by breaking down their both physical and spiritual mental forms like that that's kind of what i get out of the 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 violence aspect um and once again you know it's it's all subjective but you know that's that's kind of what what i get i definitely agree with it's sort of their form of therapy Mm -hmm. right so if you think about it like contextualizing the characters right so they're all um, you know, like beaten down. Tyler's like, you know, he has the point where he's like, our war is a spiritual war. Mm-hmm. You know, we do all these jobs chasing shit we don't need for people to impress people we don't like and all this. He's like, so these guys are like beaten down. They probably feel empty and this allows them to take control in some way. Right. right. Like it allows them to sort of take control of their life and like this is a, a positive choice they make. And I don't mean positive in the sense of like, this is good for me. This is a positive thing. I mean a positive choice in the sense of like, I'm taking control. I'm making this choice. Right. right, it's not it's not a negative choice where like it's forced upon you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that allows them to feel anything. Yeah, you know, pain is 
a very formative, very important thing to feel, right? So it, it gives them that opportunity in some ways. Right. Regarding the, the masculinity aspect is that people, uh, they take it at very surface level. Um, yeah, similar to the violence where they, they look at the masculinity and they're like, oh, the you know, a lot of these guys... Uh, especially, you know, Tyler Durden, they're, they're very well built. Uh, they're, they're supposed to be the true representation of masculinity that they're, they're supposed to be like the bannermen for, you know, what, what true, like what it really means to be a man. Mm. And that's not, not really accurate. It's a very consumerist approach to what masculinity is, mm-hmm. what manhood is. And there's even a line in the movie where they point out the underwear ad. And he's like, is that what a man right. looks like? And the funniest thing about that is that, like, that's Brad Pitt. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, he was the I, model I, for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always... Uh, well, that and I I thought that it was just funny in general that I, I was like, well, that's rich, Tyler, coming from you, you know, a very well-sculpted human being. It looks like he's carved out of fucking marble. Right, yeah. yeah like, you know, pointing out, you know, self... Uh, what do you say? Self-preservation is masturbation. Self-improvement is masturbation. Yeah, self-improvement is masturbation. Self-destruction, however. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I uh, uh, one thing that I, I think really uh, sets the the masculinity thing in place as far as the the true intent is uh, Tyler's line like how how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight mm. and while you know that that's you know that's true when when you think about you know if you've never been in a fight like how much do you know about yourself if you you've never never been in a fight but i i think it's the in, the intent of that question is is meant more on like this this broader scale of um you know uh, if you've never i don't know uh, if you've lived so so comfortably i guess you know, for for the longest part part of your life, uh, you know where you're you're so complacent. Um, you know how how much do you know about yourself if you don't get out of your comfort zone and and all this? Um, no, I think that's a fair point. Um, in terms of masculinity and how it's represented, I mean, it's very easy to point to Brad Pitt as the one of the two main characters in the film. And say like, oh, well, he's supposed to be the banner person for masculinity, to steal your phrase. But if you look like, really, the men involved in Fight Club kind of run the gamut. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for I mean, sure. You, you definitely have the kind of like more... Um, really scrawny dudes. Yeah, I was going to say like really scrawny guys like Jared Leto's character Angel is kind of like the, like the pretty boy, so right. to speak, you know. Um, then you have like the priest who's, I mean, the best character is the priest. Right. Um, yeah. But then you also have like Bob who is, he has like, bitch tits. masculinity to its extreme where he's like shooting. He's like, I don't remember what the, the drug is. He was like, it's for fucking horses. I was shooting that shit up. You right. Know? Uh, because he was a professional bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, it, it runs the gamut from like the, the scrawny guys all the way to like the, you know the extreme of this guy who's shooting up fucking horse steroids to achieve some right. some elusive perfection. I think it's just really easy to point to and be like, oh well, you know, this is what all men want to be. But it, it it's 
it's not a representation of what like actual masculinity is, what actual manhood is. Right. But that kind of goes back into like the themes of guys who were raised to not know how to be successful men in society. Yeah. And they have the, they has a, there's that scene where they're talking about like their fathers and their father's advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically just like empty words. And they're like, I have no idea how to be a fucking man. One of the whole points of the movie or one of the whole points of satirizes is like the idea of being a man that doesn't know his place in society. doesn't know how to be an effective man. doesn't know how to be an effective man in society. Mm-hmm. Um, the author of the book, Chuck Palahniuk has mm-hmm. discussed this. He was on, um, I think it was Joe Rogan's podcast talking about, um, one of the things that really, he tied into it and then the movie obviously took from was Joseph Campbell's theory of the secondary father, mm-hmm. which essentially is just, you know, if you're fortunate, you're born, you have your biological father. Right. Right. That, that like loves and, and raises you. And then at some point you have to rebel against that as you become your own man. Right. Right. The idea of the secondary father is like essentially a role model that you take um, or a person you take as a role model. Right. Right. Um, a healthy version of this would be like a coach. Right. Or a, a, an ostensibly healthy version of this would be like a coach. Yeah. Um, if you're religious, maybe a pastor. Mm-hmm. Right. But someone that's going to help you navigate the world in a way that your father did not or maybe cannot. Sure. You know, um, for the narrator, he forms this really extreme version of that in Tyler. Where even Tyler's like, you know, I'm all the thing you created me. I am different from you in all the ways that you want. You know, yeah. I, I look the way you want to look. I fuck the way you want to fuck, etc. I thought that was a very interesting perspective. And I, I've read a lot of Campbell before. I'd never read that mm-hmm. from him. And I was just like, it actually makes a lot of sense. And it, it sort of ties into um, sort of his overall, Joseph Campbell's overall like philosophy um, on on things and if you've never read any of his stuff just to anybody that's listening i highly highly recommend it uh, that guy was a fucking genius what what has he written uh, he's written a lot he so he was a philosopher um and a i guess like a religious studies scholar in okay. some ways he he did a lot of like religious comparisons um his biggest contribution arguably his biggest contribution um was the monomyth mm-hmm. which is if you look at all all religions, they essentially boil down to like a single case of mythology, right? And so a lot of this ties into like psychology, right? As well, and it's, it's like he was so much smarter than me. It's like almost comical that I'm even like trying to co- coherently talk about this, right? Um, but look at like the hero's journey. That's something that he devised. Okay, um, that's probably something else that people are familiar with hearing, particularly um, if you've ever done done any like creative writing. The hero's journey is something that that you learn about. Yeah. Um, the, the monomyth, which is probably the biggest thing, but like, um, there are times where I've read some of his stuff and I'm just like, is this the smartest motherfucker that ever lived? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. And, um, it's just, that was just like an aside that I didn't intend to go down, but I highly, highly recommend yeah. checking out any of his stuff. Well, I mean, it's definitely related to the, right. uh, the our current material. Sure. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with, uh, with a lot of that is, <clears throat> yeah, it, there are, that is a, a very a heavy common theme in, in the book and, and of course the movie right. is is this idea of father figures and it, it and it's brought up several times and and in 
I go back and forth with what my favorite scene is, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it you know on on certain days this is my favorite scene and it's the scene where he gives him the the kiss chemical burn on yeah. his hand mm-hmm. and he says if our if our fathers were models for God and our fathers abandoned us what does that tell you about God yeah um, and I think that's kind of a point where the movie picks up like just goes from zero to 60 on mm. the whole father aspect mm-hmm. of the the uh, of the movie where you know it, it's it's kind of been discussed you know lightly and loosely interpreted and he's just fucking like you know he fucking hates you he doesn't yeah. like you mm. we don't need him i'm actually glad you brought this up because um in rewatching it and then in, of course in reading the notes and the blocking that we have for the episode i saw that you'd written it in and i was like yes i'm glad you I'm glad you want to talk about that because it really ties in as all good narrative structures do to the theme overall mm-hmm. right so in a sense he's comparing the father with god your father bailed what's i tell you about god right in all honesty he probably fucking hates you yeah you know and in the the big picture sense, like that's just like pseudo philosophical drivel. It means nothing, right? Like yeah, it's garbage. It, it's right? not not meant to be taken on on surface level, right? A, a, regarding your father or God, right? Uh, it, um, yeah. Sorry, go but ahead. for the narrator, that's like exactly what he wants to hear, right. or what he perceives that he needs to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a scene earlier than that where he's talking about his father, and he's like, "I knew my father, but I didn't. He left when I was six. And, you know, he went off and was like, started other families. And there's that funny line from Tyler was like, that fucker was setting up franchises, which just, yeah. that just tickles my funny bone every time. But yeah, it's, it's a good analogy. Yeah. But it's like, that's, that's what he wants to hear is like, your father was a piece of shit. It's okay to admit that. Right. It's basically what, you know, it kind of, kind of ties into that or like, you need to understand that. Yeah. Right. Um, which again, ties into the whole, like, I can't call my father for advice because my father was a scumbag. You know, I, I can't take advice from him. I don't know how to be a man because right. he never showed me because he didn't know how to be a man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess we'll just keep going with favorite scenes. Um, yeah, I think my favorite scene is probably, I think probably the fight with Lou fight is a strong word. It's basically Tyler getting the shit kicked out of him by the bar owner Lou. Yeah. Um, because it just represents, like it, it's so representative of the like just the nihilistic mindset. Yeah, you know of like, uh, well, come on, Lou, we really like it here. I, I, yeah. On the one hand, it's like super nihilistic, where he's just like, I'm willing to let you beat the shit out of me for this, right? You know, because it, it doesn't matter that you're beating the shit out of me. But on the other hand, like it shows a very severe dedication, mm-hmm. which plays really well in showing you that all these guys are watching this happen and he's just like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, he, he backs them off right. and they see that and they're like, man, this guy's willing to let himself get fucking rocked. Right. Yeah. For this. Yeah. And, and like, then and like then, the other guy's pulling out his gun and yeah. they're like, no one brings guns to fight club. Right. And then like, but after it happens, what happens? They all gather around. The guy lights his fucking cigarette for him. Right. Like that's the moment when you're like, holy shit, they worship this guy. Yeah. You know, it's just super effective. And then that, that, you know, of course flies really into like project mayhem right later on and all that. But I just think that that, that to me really is where it turns from like, Hey, these are guys hanging out, you know, on a Saturday night in in an underground boxing club. And then it goes into like, this is a, right this, this is, is a, this is a, this is a movement. bad scene yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh no i that is uh, it, it's not my favorite scene but it's definitely one of my my favorites uh it, it's 
it, it, it does like in a very simplistic way packs a lot uh, into into that one scene because like that it's not like they they're like okay he beat the shit out of me let's continue with Fight Club like he just delves uh, just kind of divvies out the the homework mm. and and I, like that's pretty much the only homework that you get uh, as far as like a montage goes but you know he's like uh, your homework is you're gonna start a fight. And you're gonna lose, mm. and the uh, and that was uh, uh, the this this last time around. That was when I realized that uh, I don't know the actor's name, but I should because I'm a big fan of Mine Hunter. But the the guy that sprayed the priest that was outside like mm. the, the auto the shop or t- tire yeah. shop, whatever it was, uh, he uh, he's he's actually uh, going back this last time and rewatching it. I didn't realize how much he is in, in the movie, it's especially the um, when, like you said, the, from this scene onward, mm. like when he's very heavily prevalent. Yeah, and uh, and and he's the one that that says, uh, you know, his, uh, it, I get it now. It, uh, in death, we a member a of Pro- yeah. Project Manhattan has a name. His name was Robert Paulson, mm. and yeah, so that that's when I realized uh, that he was. He's he's the older um, FBI agent um, in the behavioral unit, aside um, Jonathan uh, Groff's character. But anyways, um, yeah, I for the longest time my favorite scene was the Raymond K. Hessel holdup scene. It's it's a relatively short scene. Uh, going back and looking at it, it's it, it's not very long, but. It was such. I always felt like it was such a very powerful message, and it kind of. I don't want to say it shied away from the rest of what the movie is trying to say, because obviously the move the, the movie and book are, are trying to say a lot of different things, um, or you know similar things, a lot a lot of things, and but this one kind of came out of left fields. I guess, uh, as far as... See, I disagree. Okay, so... Let me let you finish before I say I disagree. Okay, so it didn't... Bad choice of words. I don't... I didn't feel like it came out of left field, but I... I wasn't expecting that. It was very Tyler Durden-esque, what he did, of uh, the the idea of pulling this dude out of, you know, the, the convenience store to the back... You know, telling him that he's he's gonna kill him, and after all that, you know, he lets him go. He takes his license, and after all that, there's not even any guns, or not a, even any bullets in the gun. Mm. And um, he's like, "Why would you do that?" And he he says, "Tomorrow he's gonna wake up, and he's gonna have the the best tasting breakfast that you and I uh, will ever have." Okay, so the last thing um, I, I think we, we had slated to, to get to before final thoughts is discussing the book a little bit, but only in the uh, sense uh, in, in how it relates to the movie. Mm. And I think the biggest thing that we could discuss, or the most important thing, is its um, success in being ad- ad- adapted to to the screen mm. and uh, sorry I know that was very eloquently put but <clears throat> yeah it I feel like personally and and 
it's it's hailed as one of those adaptations that is very successful in terms of staying true to its source material uh, if if that is the guiding light that we're going by uh, is you know staying true to the book then i feel like and like i said you know uh, several other fans of both the book and movie do feel the same way of course there ha- uh, there are some differences between the two uh, case in point the ending um, the the ending was uh, in the book is is different than the movie and I believe uh, Ted you're a little bit more read up on the differences between those two so I mean there's gonna be there, there are some minor differences the two big big differences that I recall are, are the ending for one um, the second one is how he actually meets Tyler quote unquote meets Tyler mm-hmm in the book, he be- he meets him at a nude beach. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's that weird sequence where he's talking about like he has that um, birthmark on his foot. And he hides it in the sand because a lot of people think it's cancerous and it's not. Um, right. And that's where he meets Tyler is on the beach. Um, which is... It's not bad, really. Like it, okay. I think the movie does it, but this is one of the few times where I'm like, the movie is superior to the book. No, it, it definitely. And uh, uh, Chuck Palahniuk goes on record saying that he, he, I don't think he says that the book is, or the movie is superior, but he definitely said that there are. He loved the movie, uh, the adaptation, and he thought that the movie actually excelled in certain points that mm. the book not necessarily failed, but the the movie just did better. I just think the changes, like, like I said, the two big changes of, of the meeting and then the ending make more sense in the movie. Right. I think that, well, well, the ending makes a lot more sense, but I think yeah. the, the meeting is more powerful in the movie because it shows... Like, it shows how fractured the narrator is. Right. Right. And then it, it's like... And it, it just fits in with his character, like, traveling all around. And, like, if you woke up, could I wake up as a different person? Right. You know, which, of course, he literally does in a way. Yeah. Um, and then I think the ending makes more sense in some ways. I have a lot of problems with the ending, too. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of problems, but I do have some some things that I'm like, mm. it did. Uh, I, I don't know if my problems, my problems probably don't align with yours, but my problems for a long time were I didn't understand, uh, if they blew up, uh, and, and it, they all died at the end, uh, or if they were in a building on uh, one of the only buildings left standing in, in that area. Right. Because, um, you know, it, like you see just building after building. It, it wasn't just like two buildings. It was like a bunch of them mm-hmm. that, that just dropped. And of course, at you know, after the last one drops, the last thing you see before, you know, it cuts to credits is the, the shakiness. But really, that's just supposed to be the, the look of the, the film reel reaching the end of um, end of the reel. Yeah. So I, I don't think that the building that they're in is is rigged to blow. Uh, if we're speaking from the continuing source material from Fight Club to the graphic novel series, then it definitely does not because mm-hmm. it's 10 years later and, you know, Marla and Tyler, you know, they're married and they're basically living a, a boring married life. And it's actually pretty entertaining. 
but yeah, um, I mean, if we're you know sticking to the timeline of this, the the movie, the book slash movie, well, I guess just the movie in this instance, leading up to you know the graphic novel series, then it is very evident that they did not die. Yeah, I I just think based on the movie, like I'm so. This is going to be blasphemous to anybody that likes books more than movies, and I'm in that camp in some respects. But the sequels to the book have no bearing on the movie to me. The canon of the movie ends at the, with the movie, mm-hmm. right? I don't think they die because he says we have a front row seat to view it, not to be a part of it, to view it, mm-hmm. right? That's very that makes sense. That's a, that's a distinct choice of words. Yeah. Um. Also, it would just be stupid. And that's one of my big problems with the ending of the book. He's just like, we're going to kill ourselves. We're going to be martyrs in doing this. And it's like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. You know? <laughs> but, like, at the same time, and this is also worth noting, I, I feel like, uh, and, again, I, I don't didn't want to get too, like, book-heavy with, mm. you know, specifics pertaining to the book. I just wanted to discuss the book, um, you know, pertaining to the, the movie. But Chuck Palahniuk, his uh, Fight Club actually wasn't the first book that he wrote. He wrote Choke first, I believe. Um, isn't that right that he wrote? Uh, okay, so yeah, I, I'm. I was just trying to get some some confirmation, but uh, I'm relatively certain that he wrote Choke first, and he brought it to either his agent or a publisher or someone to look at. And they were like, you're a fucking joke. Like no one in their right mind would publish this. And so his thought process was, okay, well, if I write the kind of stuff that's not going to get published, then I might as well just have fucking fun with it. And so he basically decided to go even harder in the paint and what he, uh, and, and write fight club. And, and so he wrote what, um, you know, just as like a, a rebellious kind of act um, uh, out against the, the publisher that rejected Choke, where he was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna bring you something else, but it's going to be even more fucked up. And so he brings them Fight Club, and they're like, oh, well, we'll publish this. And I, I just, I, I thought it was very interesting how that, that whole, how Fight Club got published was... You know, he he wrote something even more messed up than his his first book and or, you know, quote unquote, first book. Uh, and and that's what ended up getting published. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's I, I think that's pretty much all we had as far as, you know, the book pertaining to the movie. Yeah. Um, do uh, you want to get into your your final thoughts? Uh, sure. Is it an effective satire? Because it's supposed to be satirical, right? But is it effective? Right. It's really almost too good right. at being a satire because so many people just completely miss the fucking point, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, so should that count for or against how the film is perceived, I, how it's critiqued? I would say for because... Okay. I mean, I... I that's, that's not a rhetorical question. I legitimately don't know. Like, I think a very compelling argu- argument could be made either way. Sure. Right? Yeah, I think so, too. But you have to look at, like, why Tyler as a character is seductive. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we want to listen to him? Or why does the narrator, I guess, want to listen to him? Why do so many people want to listen to him? Well, one, he looks like fucking Brad Pitt. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, handsome people, beautiful people tend to have people flock to them. Right. Right? Um, so that's one. 
he does kind of raise some good points mm-hmm. to a point, right? right? Like, and then he goes way off fucking deep end, and it's like, ah, maybe we should not talk to this person anymore. <laughs> um, but he has he has a lot of, a lot of lines that center around, um, or that center on you know this this is your life, and it's ending one second at a time, which kind of plays into the medieval Christian theory uh, theory of like memento mori, uh, right. you know, you will die, know that you will die. You know, um, he has some critiques of consumerism, which I think are valid. And then I think, as we kind of discussed very briefly at the beginning of the podcast, are very prescient right. to what is going on and increasingly going on with regards to like politics and society now. Yeah. And I think those are very seductive because it's like a lot of people can relate to those. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying Tyler's a good character. He's full of shit. He sucks and he should not be listened to. But, right. you know, a good point's a good point. Even a stop clock is right twice a day, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, again, these are all grossly, grossly overshadowed by his means and ends. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying he's a good character. I'm not saying he's someone you should follow. And it really disgusts me, truly, deeply disgusts me that you go, you can go online and find people that like pseudo cosplay in a way as Tyler Durden, where it's like Tyler says this. Tyler thing like Tyler's a fictional fucking character. You're a clown. Get a fucking hobby. You know. <laughs> sure. Um, Cosplay was the wrong word because I think, you know, cosplay is a legitimate exertion of, right you know, creativity yeah. and, and design. Just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to use it as a pejorative where it's like people like um, role play, I guess. Sure. Anyway, um, I just think it's, right. I think it's dumb. And yeah. At the very least, um, take his, uh, his take him message too seriously. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's fucking clown shoes. Yeah, which I, I guess is a great way to circle back to our overall thesis of, you know, a, a vast You're all majority. Of, Terrible disappointment. Uh, I, I mean, I was trying to put it into uh, not so... Um, Blunt and mean-spirited, but it is what it is. Yeah. I, ultimately, my thoughts on this movie are just like, it's good art because it causes discussion mm-hmm. and it reflects something about ourselves or about society at, at large. Right. Uh, you know, I asked, is it is it... Should we should account for against the movie that it's good at what it does? I think it should count for it. I, I mm-hmm. agree with you because it's like it, yeah. it really exposes like oh shit, you know this is a real thing that motherfuckers should be worried about. Yeah. Um. So I think it should count for it. Yeah. I'll uh, so I'll I'll start off my final thoughts by by echoing a lot of that and and kind of filling in some you know you're you you weren't asking rhetorically you were truly asking and i feel uh, as it seems like you do that it is effective in its satirical nature and you know how you uh, you know is it is it too satirical where it's you know all of a sudden not good anymore and and not effective but i you know you, you have you look at what uh, you look at some unaffected satire, and uh, I, I guess a, a semi-good example we could use is Velvet Buzzsaw uh, <laughs> that we did a couple months ago. And while not a terrible movie, um, it it wasn't great either. It, it was fun. Um, it was fun to watch, but we we talked at length. Uh, and and if you want to go back and listen to that one, that, that I felt like you know since it was one of our. Uh, first episodes I felt I think that was our first episode that wasn't even a Ghost of the Movies episode I don't think I think that was just what, the first episode we did together on Geek Garage that's, that sounds right yeah. either way um, I, it was a lot of fun to do despite the uh, you know our our less than you know positive thoughts on the movie my, my point was that 
you know, Velvet Buzzsaw is a less than fantastic example of what satire in film uh, should be. You know, if if your point is to make a satirical film, mm. and so if you put that up against um, Fight Club, I, I feel like there is a stark contrast in overall quality when it comes to making a satirical film. And although it may seem in certain uh, lights that uh, Fight Club is overachieving in in a, a satirical sense, then uh, I, I mean I, I probably wouldn't disagree with that. But I'd say overall it, it is relatively successful, um, and in some cases over successful. Yeah. Um, for my overall thoughts, aside from your own um, and echoing what what you said, is that. I, I have racked my brain and to, to decide if this is my, not just my favorite Fincher film, but my favorite film of all time, because that's, you know, a bold statement for a lot of people to say, uh, you know, most people, especially, you know, film nerds. And I really think that Fight Club is my favorite movie. Oddly enough, I don't know if it's my favorite Fincher film. Uh, I'd have to... Um, kind of reassess, and I, I don't, I don't know if logically that makes sense. It does not. No. No. Really. N- really. Hmm. Well, you know. I'll I'll be the one to disagree with you because it's not Fincher's best movie, and it's probably not even on like my top thirty favorite movies. Well, you know, it's good. It's, it's definitely good though. Yeah. All right. So you want to do shit that doesn't suck? Yeah. All right. So for this week, um, I'm gonna go off the grid a little bit. Um, I watched a movie called Cold World about a week ago, I guess it's been. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. It's uh, definitely not something that would be in your wheelhouse because it's no. good. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I uh, We're going we're gonna to have to cut this. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a Polish film uh, by Pawel Pawlikowski. He won... Um, he, he won at least one Oscar for a, a previous work he did called Ida, I believe it was. I'm, okay. I, this might have been nominated for Best Foreign Film, but Roma won, uh, I believe, last year's Foreign Film Oscar. So, yeah. Uh, it was nominated. He won uh, Best Director, maybe, at Cannes for this movie. It is fucking incredible. Okay. Um, it is in Polish. Um, predominantly, I think there's a couple other languages spoken, but it's, it's subtitled. Um, so, if you're not into that get over it right because you're missing out on a lot of world cinema that's awesome uh this one in particular it's um it's a love story uh, i wrote a review for it on letterboxd um and it was just to, very short to the point it was just it's uh it's about star-crossed doomed love and the pieces of ourselves that we lose in fighting the world mm-hmm. um it, it's just like high art man I, I don't know how else to say it's fucking so beautiful. It, it's recent right this came out last year. Okay. Um, I will check it out just it to is, spite you. It is on Amazon Prime. It was an Amazon Studios okay. um, movie. I don't know that they were the original backers or if they maybe just bought the distribution rights. Sure. Um, but it is on Prime. It's also getting, uh, to keep to keep it very on brand for myself, it's also getting a Criterion Collection release. Like I said, very on brand for me. <laughs> yes. Uh, but man, it's it's uh, it's only, it's about ninety minutes. So for those of you that are like, mm, I don't know, it's like it's an hour and a half. Right. All right. If you can sit through fucking twelve hours of Avengers fan service, you can <laughs> deal with a ninety minute movie that's actually fucking good. Right. Um, yeah. But I'll, yeah, I'll it's, have to check it's, it out. 
I, it's one of my favorite movies that I've watched recently. It's okay. fan fucking tastic. Cool. Yeah. I'll I'll have to check it yeah, out. So what what do you got? Uh, so I got the new season of Mindhunter. Uh, it came out a couple weeks ago, and it is uh, relatively in line with uh, keeping in in theme with the uh, the first season. So you know the first season is all about the the FBI forming the behavioral science unit, uh, coining the term serial killer, going around interviewing serial killers, trying to understand the the idea of. Uh, or the the mindset of a serial killer. That way, they can relay this information to the FBI and and other you know uh, police forces, and and kind of nip it in the bud, you know, b- before it becomes an issue. And so that was kind of the 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 premise of the first season. And while they do a little bit of that in the second season, they they it kind of takes a backseat, although they do have some big names. Um, Charles Manson is, is probably the biggest name. That all kind of takes a backseat with the second season. And the main story is them going to Atlanta to help with the um, the the Atlanta Police Department and the um, what was it the the Atlanta uh, uh, the Atlanta monster? Um, I, I think that's that's what they they nicknamed him. Um, he, he was he was supposed to be responsible for uh, like almost thirty child kidnapping and murder um, uh, cases, and I don't I don't want to give anything away, but that that was the 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 main. Uh, part of the second season and so a lot of people didn't like the second season because it was kind of a shift uh, as far as direction goes from the second from the first season but I really liked it because although it you know it stayed true to its you know original fashion it it kind of broke away and did this this little thing and they actually worked on a real case from history so uh you know keeping on brand with you know Fincher um he he did a really good job in this instance of um, working in you know real true crime history into into this storyline where some of it is you know fictional for the sake of making a you know a, a, you know a decent script and storyline and all that but you know he he's working in actual historical events from true crime but yeah <clears throat> um i i highly suggest it if you know you watch the first one i i'd say watch the second one let me know what you think i'm i'm curious i fucking love mine hunter and i love fincher um if you haven't figured that out by now so um i'd love to hear your thoughts and ted and i want to hear your thoughts on fight club we just in general yeah, yeah we we did a little post um it was definitely late on our part we we should have uh, made the post a couple days ago we, but- we did get a little bit of uh a little bit of a response. So uh, on Instagram, Evan Dillingham uh, called us out hard, right, for talking about Th- Fight Club. Thanks, thanks a lot, Evan. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, what what did he say? He, oh, First oh, of all, you've broken the rules, right? I, I was like, okay, Evan, uh, you're, you're not asshole. <laughs> you're not going to contribute to the conversation. You're gonna call us out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Evan, he's he's actually a big Trekkie, so uh, he might. Oh, have, man of culture. 
Right. So he <laughs> <laughs> so he might eventually uh, find his way yeah. as a as a yeah. guest on the podcast on the main track. show. Speaking of social media, you can find us on all the major social media sites by searching for Geek Garage or Geek Garage Pod. Yep. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good shit. We have a website, geekgaragepodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Come check it out. We have blog posts when we actually stop being lazy pieces of shit and contribute to the podcast. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, which is um, a self-described social media site for film nerds or mm-hmm. film lovers, I think. It's really cool. I like it a lot. Uh, I'm at Ted is on Far on all of those things, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Come say what's up. Uh, drop us a line on any of those. Come see us at GalaxyCon in November. Yeah. We're very stoked on this. This is a big step for us. It is. We, um, we're very excited. Well, don't don't make us have spent all this goddamn money in vain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we. I mean, uh, I was going to say earlier, silver lining for AkaiCon being relatively unsuccessful. We have all those buttons left over. Yes. So yes we don't need any more buttons. Well, right. no, we're going to need more I mean, buttons. Yeah, we'll still need to buy some, but you know, we don't need to buy as many because we can we buy like yeah, yeah yeah and we can you know buy candy and stuff and yeah not to sound like weirdos that are like come by our booth we'll have a candy for you <laughs> i don't know that booth that was next to us at a kai con they yeah, got a they, lot of shit yeah they big, were just they, by were out candy. And, they were stunning hard yeah i and, wish i could remember who they were to give them credit for it but they're just those people they were that con in indiana right yeah that's uh, all their names for, for me cool yeah that one guy gave me like shrimp chips from japan they were actually really good. Nice. Yeah, he was a nice guy. I'm just like, I don't know who you were, bro, but thank you on the podcast. He's not listening. None of this matters. Right. Come see us at GalaxyCon. It'll be fun. Yes. We got some other stuff coming up that we're working on um, in terms of both conventions and just podcast episodes. If you have any ideas, anything you want to share with us, like yep. I said, give us a shout on social media. Yeah, we're always looking for suggestions, uh, we movies. Are creatively bankrupt. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, I mean, uh, even though we do a relatively decent job of coming up with topics, at least we think so, uh, we always do not mind uh, having uh, help, especially, you know, when when we can really get uh, listeners involved uh, Mm. with what they want to hear. I mean, that's the whole point of doing this is is putting out content that people want to listen to. So, I mean, it's it's not fun if we're just talking about always 100% of the time what we want to talk about. For sure. Uh, also, if there's any type of, I guess, merchandise or tchotchkes or kitschy stuff that sure. everybody likes, um, if you'd like to see us do like koozies or mm-hmm. t-shirts, um, we have the buttons already, so we're one step ahead of you. Right. Um, sex dolls? I don't know if we can <laughs> customize those. That might be out of the wheelhouse. Yeah, That's a I weird example. Yeah. I don't know why I went straight there. Right. But anything that, um, that any of our listeners would be into... Um, you know, drop us a line for that. We're always open to suggestions. Um, we'll, we'll go from there. I think that's all I got. David, yep. you got anything else? That is it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I, I think I think we said it all. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well. What, drop uh, your sign off line, yeah. boy. We're gonna, okay. Well, first of all, we're going to have to talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> note, note for David next time. Don't, don't do that next time. <laughs> ever. Ever. Um, yeah. So, as always... Uh, Thank you for everything, Mm -hmm. and watch more movies, because movies make life better. They do indeed. All right. Bye, peeps. Bye.